This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, Episode 328, A Better Way to Save, Invest, and Borrow Money with John Inslee. Traditional financial planning is no longer working. And in the new normal economy, your host, certified financial planner Mark Willis, invites you to join us as we engage the new and improved steps for establishing financial sanity. Be curious, be stable, be sane. This is Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think different about your money, your economy, and your future. Wait a minute, you didn't know we had a YouTube channel? That's right, we put content that we don't put anywhere else on YouTube, and you need to see it to believe it. So be sure to follow, like, and subscribe our channel so you won't miss a thing. Hey everybody, welcome back to this week's episode. I have a question. What is the true cost of paying cash for your cars? Or really any major expense, but let's think about cars for a minute. If paying cash is really the best thing we can ever do when we're making major purchases, I got to say it, we're sorely mistaken. We have a massive hole in our financial lives. Most of us do. And a big part of that big financial massive hole is the trouble we have with banks. But the other reason why we have a massive hole in our financial lives is the misunderstanding of how paying cash for major expenses is as good as it can get. Have I got you curious yet? So stay tuned to this episode today to hear more about how paying cash for boring cars or any other major expense might be costing you millions of dollars over your lifetime. The results in this episode, the math we do in this episode, shocked us. Now, John Inslee is our return guest today. He was our guest way back on episode 313 over the summer, where we talked about the five money monsters destroying our wealth. John Inslee is leading a financial planning revolution to help you take back control of your money, your lifestyle, and your retirement plan. John believes conventional financial planning is failing too many Americans. He's on a mission to change that for American families and business owners. Founded in 2012, John is the president of Jay Inslee Financial, a fiduciary financial planning company and a registered investment advisor. He holds a chartered financial consultant designation from the American College of Financial Services, and he's one of an elite group of highly trained bank-on-yourself professionals. Now, again, we get into a lot of detail about the difference between paying cash for things and using a bank-on-yourself design policy to make major purchases not just for expenses, but also for investments as well. So stay tuned and check out all that John has to share in this episode. Take it away, John. John, welcome back to the show. So awesome to be here. Thanks, Mark. Now you're back on our show. So welcome back. We had a great conversation about money monsters. So guys, go back and listen to that episode with John. But you know, today I really wanted to come have you come back on our show to talk about kind of the the two-pronged approach you have with clients, this idea of becoming your own source of financing and becoming your own pension. So first of all, let's just define terms. What does becoming your own financing mean? And then talk about becoming your own pension. That sounds counterintuitive. Both of those sound counterintuitive. Counterintuitive. Yes, for sure. So becoming your own source of financing is, uh, remember we talked about in its simplest form, bank on yourself is a system for saving, investing, and borrowing. So borrowing is, is the uh, the key feature here that we're talking about. Accessing credit, everyone needs access to credit for something at some point uh, in their lives. 
And so using the unique features of properly structured whole life insurance, we can become our own source of credit if you want to look at it that way. So we can borrow against the cash values in our policies to finance anything that we would finance any other way, whether that's vehicles, investment, investments, um, you know, whatever it is. <clears throat> now, most people would say, all right, well, that's fine. I guess most people need to use credit, but John, I'm way cooler than your average Joe here. I'm just going to save up my money and pay cash. What's the problem with me just paying cash for things? Well, the reality is that you're you're using credit either way in a fashion, right? Because you're you're paying interest when you borrow money, but you're giving up the interest you could have earned on the money in your savings account when you pull it out and go pay cash. So as you're fond of saying, Mark, um, the bank on yourself concept allows you, it's even better than paying cash. I hear you there. And I agree with you, but I'm going to play devil's advocate here. John, that sounds like you know, sales speak right there, you know, what, mm -hmm. so what, okay, I'm going to lose some interest. Does that really matter? Is that a big deal? Sure. I'm going to, I need to buy a car every five years, let's say, shouldn't I just pay cash and not worry about this whole life insurance thing? Why become my own source of financing? And aren't I just going to end up paying interest on my own money? I mean, these are questions that you hear on uh, financial radio shows, let's say, or or YouTube channels, mm -hmm. let's say. So tell me, describe that to me or, or help me understand that from a new perspective. Why don't I just pay cash for my cars? Well, first of all, there probably are circumstances where that's exactly what you would do, but not many. So the the main thing is that we have to understand that it's one big pool of money, whether you know, and and we're going to take out and put in, but it's all one big pool. We think about it in compartments, but it's really one big pool of money. Mm -hmm. And so if you're if you're giving up the interest you could have earned on the money you spent, if you're looking at that over one car purchase, then perhaps it is less than exciting, right? The, the savings yep. there. There is savings there, but it's perhaps less than exciting. But like with most of the concepts that we talk about, we're not talking about a one-time or this week or this year we're talking about looking at this from a lifetime standpoint. Right. So how much savings will you will you experience on one side of the coin over 40 years or 50 years or whatever the case may be? You'll probably buy 10 cars or 12 or you know yeah. some people 20 in in that time. So that's the saving side on the interest, but then how much if you understand compounding interest at all 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 years of compounding that you're gaining on the other side of the coin. Uh, these are not small numbers. You bet. Well, and let's just run the math on that briefly. And then I want to turn our attention to the pension conversation. If you needed to save money for a car, you're going to need to save it somewhere. So let's say you put away 650 bucks a month for five years, every month for five years. That's 40 grand essentially with a little bit of interest. So 40 grand for your car. Okay. So that's your car. What if you had put that money and not bought your car? What if you had put that money instead into an interest bearing account and just rode shotgun your whole life, you know, just rode shotgun, just uh, took the bus. Okay. Now, what would happen to $650 a month times 60 years, which is how long most people are going to be buying cars at earning 5% over that 60 year period? Are you ready? The cost of save or the cost of buying your cars with cash is $2.97 million. I hope you liked your old cars, right? Exactly. Those are where are they now after a lifetime? They're an old, you know, rust heap some in some junkyard somewhere. 
$2.9 million you don't have, and you don't have your cars anymore either because you ended up selling them or wrecking them or whatever. This is the problem of paying cash. And you're right, my friend. We do finance everything we buy. We mm-hmm. either pay interest to a banker or we pass up $2.9 million to buy our cars with cash. Okay, so I think uh, I'm, I'm, uh, exactly. I'm, I'm in alignment with you now. Okay, now yes, tell absolutely. me a bit of anything else you'd want to say there before we talk about how you become your own pension. Uh, no, I think we've uh, we've covered it pretty well. I mean, right? Yeah. Why would you buy anything any other way? Absolutely, it, it just wouldn't make any sense. So, becoming your own pension. This is one that's near and dear to my heart because it's you know it's uh, one of those things that again is widely misunderstood that that we can lock in guaranteed streams of income, pension like guaranteed streams of income, and I th- I think one of the things that uh, that we run into with this. Uh, so there's a, a little thing I like to run through, Mark, and I don't know if you know this or not, but why in 1903 was Thomas Edison electrocuting live animals on camera? <laughs> uh, something something doesn't add up here. You're going to have to help me walk that one out. <laughs> Including an adult elephant, right? Really? And so, <laughs> And so the reason was that a guy named Nikola Tesla had designed the AC generator that could produce electricity with alternating current. And Edison's entire system was based on direct current, and they were competing for who was going to get the contract at the Niagara Power Station. So Edison started electrocuting animals to prove that AC electricity was dangerous. Mm. Is that true? It's not. The whole world today runs on AC because Nick Tesla won that argument. So mm. here's my point, marketing messages, right? It wasn't, AC electricity wasn't dangerous. Edison was just marketing. He was killing his competition or trying to, it didn't work. And so this is one of these topics where unfortunately, I think a lot of people uh, have opinions or make decisions based upon the marketing messages that they are bombarded with Wow. Yeah. rather than a rational analysis of what's best for them with the numbers and figures and, and what they want to accomplish. And so I'm talking about a tool called an annuity. And um, annuities give you the ability, the right annuities structured the right way, et cetera, give you the ability to lock in a pension-like stream of income. So imagine if there was a company called the pension store. And the pension store, their deal is you can go to them and they will exchange your retirement plan for a guaranteed lifetime pension. And they, of course, have facts and figures to go along with it. It's going to, uh, the the value that dictates your income is going to go up by 6 to 10% a year. And at any point in time, you can then tell them you want to start your pension and they'll start sending you a check that's guaranteed for the rest of your life, guaranteed for the rest of your spouse's life. Mm. Um, it has a, has a cool little feature there where you get even more money if you have to go in, a, in under a full-time nursing care, that kind of thing, right? So there's all these all these cool things. And um, you know they'll do that for a very low cost exchange of your retirement plan. So the uh, the pension store is is a fictitious thing that I made up, but there are a whole bunch of insurance companies that essentially offer that service. Fascinating. Yeah, and the world moved away from the pensions. We were all sold uh, the the uh, the marketing that it's going to be better if you're your own investor. If you've got your 401k, you've got you're going to end up with so much more money. I have not, and I don't know if you'd agree with me on this, but 
in all my years working in the financial world, meeting now with thousands of families across the country, I could probably count on one hand how many people had even just $1 million in a 401k Mm -hmm. IRA. Uh, And that's working, talking with very affluent people. These are not you know, low, lower middle class. These are people doing what they're supposed to be doing, living within their means, saving, putting money into that 401k. Less than maybe a dozen at the very most have had over a million dollars in that 401k out of several, at least a thousand families that I've met with. And so is it working? How's it working out for us? How's that Mm -hmm. ACDC current conversation going with the defined contribution plans, uh, which are like 401ks versus Define benefit plans, which are like pensions and annuities and so forth. So has that been your experience? And two, what can we do about it? Yes, absolutely been my experience. Um, People's perception of those plans that they have is very seldom lines up with reality when you actually do the analysis. Their perception of a 401k or IRA or something you're Mm -hmm. saying- Exactly. Not what they what, it seems. what they think they have and what they think it's going to do rarely matches up mm. with with what's most likely to happen. Um, when you do the analysis, when you pull the statements and you start actually, I I, I met with somebody here just the other day and they sent me. Um, I had them send me December thirty one year end statements, their quarterly statements for just the December because it shows the year to date, right? So I have them send me the December statements, and on the on the most recent one. It showed a 13.31 average three-year rate of return. It says your average three-year rate of return, 13.31%. Pretty good. I analyzed the statements, pulled out, okay, what are contributions, what are matches, et cetera. And they actually had uh, about $4,000 less than their own contributions in the account. Wait a minute. So over over eight years. Help me understand that again. Talk talk to us like we don't understand all this. So how mm-hmm. did you get to a point where they made 13 point whatever percent over three years and yet they had less money in their account? Tell talk to us about that. So again, I come I come back to uh marketing messages. Um so yeah. it, essentially what shows on the statement is a three-year calculation that that it's not just a falsehood. I'm sure they can show you the formula on how they arrived at it. But it's not looking at the entirety of the picture. It's not taking into account the eight-year period. And it, there's a whole bunch of factors that, that aren't factored into that. They're just looking at one snapshot in time, and they picked a snapshot in time that they could mathematically bear out this number. Wow. But wow. for the average person, they just open their statement, 13.31. I'm doing great. Yeah. And what makes me angry about this is people start to build plans around that. You know, you start to say, all right, I can sell this house and I can move to the mansions or I can move to, I can get that vacation home or I can live, you know, closer to the grandkids or whatever. In reality though, people have not a million bucks in their 401k, but let's say 200 grand, 300 grand at the most. Mm-hmm. I think the average 401k balance for someone in their fifties is just about a hundred grand or so. That's somebody in their fifties, John. So these are people yeah. who should be, you know, writing the the baby boomer stock market contributing craze that's gone on in the last 40 years. And yet they've got barely scratching together six figures in that 401k thinking they're getting 13 point whatever percent. This is mm-hmm. marketing at its uh, at its very worst. So I completely agree with you. So you know, talk to me about this financial system that's marketing to us. How is it corrupt? How is it chaotic? What is it doing to us uh, in, in the good way? You know, let's look at it in, with not just rose-colored glasses, but let's really understand this system, this financial system, from mm-hmm. 
your perspective, what is it doing to us and how is it, you know, maybe manipulating or changing our perception of reality? When you, when you really go back and historically start looking at it, um, I'll just go back to, to 1910 when a bunch of uh, bankers and some business people and some key politicians had a top secret meeting at a place called Jekyll Island and essentially came up with what today is the Federal Reserve System. By 1913, they passed the Federal Reserve Act and pretty much took over the, the banking system, private enterprise did, and the money system in the United States. So, so the corruption goes way, way back, what, 110, 115 years now is, yeah. is, is you know, the roots of it. So at this point, it's just systemic. It, what, what would have been looked at as corrupt at one point is now we just considered normal. And folks um, that want to dive deeper into this uh, concept that you're briefly touching on, John, guys, go back way back to episode 56 called The Truth Behind the Federal Reserve. We had a great colleague come on. Teresa Kuhn was our guest there. So uh, she speaks about this in greater detail. But John, you're you're bringing up some great points. This is a it, it's an insidious creature from Jekyll Island uh, that's mm -hmm. been you know really digging its its uh, tentacles into all manner of our government, but also banks. This is not some tinfoil hat conspiracy. This is out in the open. Mm -hmm. Absolutely, anybody could just Google search this and find all kinds of information. So from a corruption standpoint. You know, we we could we could pick any number of events, but let's jump forward to 1978 with the passage of the ERISA Act. Uh, ERISA is the legislation that made the 401k possible, and that legislation uh, it, it was essentially li like most bills we're familiar with now, right? They don't even read them, and so it's it's a political lobby game to pass legislation that is to the benefit of certain entities. And what we always have to remember, uh, there's a great book by Henry Hazlitt called The um, Economics in One Lesson. And he talks in there quite a bit about unintended consequences or the fact that one group benefits over another group. And we always have to keep in mind with these bills that do some of these things, this is, it's a transfer, right? They're, they're siphoning resources from one group and giving it to another group. And then, and it, which is, I don't know how you describe it any other way than corrupt. Theft, maybe. Yeah. Something Theft. like that. Yeah. Yeah. There we go. <laughs> Broad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you're saying that the basis of the 401k and the ERISA Act of 1974, 401ks, IRAs were all born around then. Uh, first of all, that's a surprise to most folks to hear that the 401k is so young, it can't mm -hmm. even retire yet as a as a entity. I'm hoping yep. for it to retire very soon, by the way. I hope it takes right. an early retirement. So John, I don't mean to step on your toes here. Was there more that you wanted to discuss regarding where we are today in this financial system? So I, here's, I think what it comes down to is the, the more you study, the more you look particularly at the history of different things and, and bring it right up to the current day there, you have to understand that the system you're operating within is not ideal. It's flawed. But the reality is it's the one we have. We really don't have another option, right? There's nowhere mm -hmm. in the world today that doesn't operate on fractional reserve banking. There's no island you can escape to where they're still using gold and silver coins or whatever. There's, that doesn't exist anymore, right? Um, so we have no choice but to operate within this system. So what I was looking for way back when was a when I recognized the, the fraud that I had to work within <clears> – <throat> What I was looking for was what are the tools? There's got to be a way that I can insulate myself from it. There's got to be a way 
that I can run my financial life and just kind of put a barrier up between me and the worst parts of the system that I don't want to participate in. And that's, I, I found the, the bank on yourself concept and it lined up with that. It gives me the ability to run my saving, investing and borrowing my banking system and be insulated from the worst parts of that banking system that, that is out there. Mm. And that, that was the key for me as a, a way to operate my life on sound money. So that's, I think really a, a, a an aha moment and guys go back and listen to what John just said again and how he got to that point. So how does Bank on Yourself help us essentially opt out uh, or insulate, was your word, from that corrupt system? How does it help us get ahead when most Americans feel like they're doing all the right things? You know, they're trying to get it all, trying to follow the 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 advice, mm -hmm. the typical so average, oh, so average advice, mm -hmm. and yet they're not getting ahead. So how can Bank on Yourself, one, insulate us from the corruption that you mentioned, and two, help help us even thrive in the midst of these kind of you know, uncertain and unprecedented times that we're living in. Yes. So that system we're talking about, the money system is prone to booms and busts. Uh, it builds up bubbles, those bubbles burst, and then we have a bust. And if you are uh, in high finance or a big bank, uh, you have the capacity and the legislative advantage to take advantage of either option. If you're Joe Blow, you just ride that wave up and then you ride that spiral down into the pit. And so one of the things that was very appealing to me is my whole life policies really aren't subject to that. doesn't really matter whether the markets go up, down, tank, whatever happens. Um, my, you know, my, my savings and my platform is building year after year after year exactly like I expected it to. Mm -hmm. And um, you know, so we're just not exposed to those booms and busts. Uh, the other thing is in, with fractional reserve uh, and the way that money is inflated in uh, in our country is through debt. And that's because banks have the ability to take in $10 of deposits and, and give out $100 in loans on that $10 in deposits or even less than that. They could give out $1,000 in loans on that $10 deposit. And so they create the money between the deposit and the, and the debt. Um, insurance companies can't do that. So an insurance company has to, a dollar in is a dollar in, a dollar out is a dollar out. Um, they have to maintain their reserves. They're highly regulated and they have to be able to position themselves to meet all their obligations. Now, just like any industry, I'm sure there are bad insurance companies that don't do a very good job of this. And then there are excellent insurance companies that have been doing an excellent job of it for 200 years or 150 years. So obviously we want to pick the best of them. Um, but an insurance company is a essentially a more sound money system, even though they're using this corrupt currency. It's an odd, it's an odd thing. Well, you're right. There's a a choice we all have, a vote with every dollar, with what we're going to do, what we're going to support, what system we're going to help uh, undergird or support with our money, with our participation. And what I find so refreshing here as we're wrapping this episode up is we don't have to wait for Congress to pass some law. We don't have to wait for the world to come around to its senses. Uh, we can do this on a one individual, one family, one community at a mm -hmm. time. Family and folks family. are doing this. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yep. And that's the best kind. You know, that's, the, that's the difference between the starfish and the spider. You know, with the spider, you got one centralized authority. You've got the head. You chop off the spider head, no more living spider, right? If you chop the 
arm off of it. There is no head on a starfish, first of all. But if you try to chop off an arm on the starfish, what happens next? Do you know by chance? It grows. It grows, it grows another it starfish. Back. Yeah. Yep. Arm grows back and that arm starts to build a second starfish. Mm-hmm. So the more you try to crush that thing, the more it's going to just multiply. And my hope is, my prayer is that we just get a few solid warriors doing this in a good, solid way. Maybe it's 10% of America that does this, uses this strategy. Uh, we get a revolution started that really can't be stopped. Uh, so anyway, Absolutely. John, you're you're a part of that revolution, my friend, and I'm so glad to be uh, your colleague and your peer here. Uh, tell folks, as a Bank on Yourself professional, what you help folks do and how they can work with you. Absolutely. So I, I basically just help people set up that system that we've been talking about. Set up your own system of of saving, investing, and borrowing using properly structured whole life insurance and annuities as a, as a platform for that. That's what I do. Is that a fit for you? Well, that's where we should talk, right? So you can go to jumponwithjohnjohn.com and set up a time for a, a brief 15, 20-minute conversation just to see if we're a fit. Very good. And one more time, that's jumponwithjohn.com. And John, thanks for coming on today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's been an awesome discussion. John, thanks for coming back again on our show and sharing some of your wisdom and insights with us. The idea of taking back control of certain functions in our life that we'd previously outsourced might sound far-fetched, maybe even impossible to many people. But I see it happening each and every day, each and every week as I work with clients across the country. What did you get from this episode? How will you make your life just a bit better after having listened? Here's just a couple of quick takeaways I heard as I listened to John today. Number one, pensions and annuities have provided solid income for most of human recorded history since the Roman Empire, in fact. So, With that in mind, might the myths and misconceptions about annuities be built on false claims? To find out, explore the potential that annuities can offer. Reach out and discuss if an annuity might be the missing piece in your financial picture. Number two, seek out systems and strategies that align with your values, vision, and goals. Too many people, I guess it's it's sad to say, but too many people have their money in financial vehicles that are misaligning against their goals and values. That causes stress. It causes heartache. And I just don't like seeing it. So figure out what you want your money doing for you and align your money with your values. Third, work in conjunction with a professional who knows what he or she is doing when building a strategy that's going to last your entire lifetime. This is something that cannot be undone. Much like trying to undo a plane crash, you cannot undo mismanagement of your money. Once the money is mismanaged, once it's gone due to market crashes or whatever, it's gone for good. You cannot get it back. So you really need to make sure that at least a portion of your portfolio will absolutely hit the goals you're setting out to reach for. So thank you, John, for helping to serve your clients across this country. And thank you, my dear revolutionaries, for listening to this week's episode of Not Your Average Financial Podcast, helping you think and live differently with your money, your economy, and your future. This has been another episode of the Not Your Average Financial Podcast. To join a financial revolution and start thinking different about money, go to www.nyafinancialpodcast.com and click Request a Meeting. The topics presented in this podcast are for general information only and not for the purposes of providing legal, accounting, or investment advice. 
On such matters, please consult a professional who knows your specific situation.